Omagyanatimirandasya, Yananjana Shalakaya, Chakshon Militanyena, Tasmai Shri Guruvena Maha. Hello and welcome to our Seeking the Essence podcast. I'm your host, Vishakadasi. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm in Salt Lake City right now. It's about eight o'clock in the morning. We've had a beautiful few days of festivals. We celebrated Lord Krishna's appearance day, Janmashtami, we call it. And also the next day, it's kind of like an after party. The day after he was born was the real celebration. And also it was the appearance of Srila Bhaktivedanta Swami Marsh Prabhupada, the founder of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So it's been a very full few days. I'm also visiting my family who live here in Salt Lake City. So it's been very sweet. And I wanted to share our main discussion on the day of Krishna's birthday a few days ago. And it's a, it's a very um, developed community here. A lot of insightful contributions from the main speakers. And I hope you'll get something out of this. Mars, would you like to share anything? Um, I know you shared a lot already. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, um, Vishaka, you can uh, tell us about Krishna's birth and lace it with Colton Flush. I've heard that combination. Well, it all happened in dark, rainy night. <laughs> was it raining? It was the monsoon season, right? Oh, well, well, right, right. I was talking about here. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm happy to hear from you or have you start, Marsh. But if you, if, you, if you really want me to begin, then I can. No, I want to defer to you. Okay. Not necessarily even tell the story, just share whatever it is. Okay. Inspiration Okay. Well, um, we have some persons coming for the first time. Is everyone already somewhat familiar with Krishna, or some people, not so much? What about Jalen? <laughs> hey, Jalen. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Do you think we're crazy? <laughs> well, if you keep coming a little more, you realize that we all are. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, like, if we think of things objectively, some of the things that we do may seem a little strange, like staying up to midnight, fasting. <laughs> but actually, it is our way of honoring the Lord. It's our way of honoring, and it's a way of it's an opportunity for us to, to stretch, right? You know, to get out of our mundane comfort zone, right? And, and our, our Guru Dev, he gave this um, explanation of the Sanskrit word for fast is upavas. And upa, he says, come from, comes from the word samipe, which means to be close to. And vas means to reside. So he's saying the idea is that by, by fasting, we're like, we're giving up our own comforts. We're depriving ourselves. Some healthy, 
little bit of deprivation, right? And in that way, we're, we are allowing ourselves to increase our remembrance of the Lord. You know, we're bringing ourselves closer to the Lord. Issue is that we are, we're normally very fixed and present in our mundane body, right? There is the atma, the soul within, that is covered by these mundane layers of the physical body, the mind, the ego. And normally, we spend all day long feeding those things, right? <laughs> feeding the body, you know, feeding the mind, feeding the ego <laughs> in, in so many different subtle and gross ways, right? And so on days like this, we have this opportunity to, as our Gurudev said, happily do what we don't want to do. <laughs> that was how he defined the word sadhana, right? Our, our life of, you know, regulated practice. Like, what we don't want to do, we will happily do, right? Like that bitter medicine that Shahu was taking. So in these days, it's like we're, we're trying to like minimize our bodily enjoyment. And in that way, there's this lightness that comes about and that allows us to, to come closer to the Lord. And it's, you know, there's a sweet spot, you know, our, you know not too much on either side, right? It's, it, you know, we have to find, and it's all individual as well, right? Because we don't want to deprive us. It's not about the deprivation, right? Sometimes our... Our, you know, our devotees make that mistake, right? Or you know, we all do. I do too sometimes. We think it's about the deprivation. It's about the fasting. It's not what it's about, you know. And it's also not about the, you know, the exploitation, the enjoyment, you know. But the idea is that our principle is yukta vaidagya, right? We're taking what we from this world, just what we need, not more, not less, right? So this is some explanation for the principle of behind fasting and increasing our remembrance of the Lord. And so Maharaj, he asked to, if I could say something about how Krishna appeared in this world, and perhaps some of you haven't heard that before. And first of all, and this is something which only recently has begun blowing my mind, that Krishna appeared in a prison cell. <laughs> It just hit me like a few, like, it was just a year or two ago. I was like, wow, that is like so deep. Like, God chooses to appear. Like, God, who has everything at his disposal, right, he chooses to appear in a prison cell. You know? It's you know, like, what does that tell you? Right? Like, don't get stuck on objective reality, don't get stuck on circumstances. Rajamohini, you please don't sit like that. <laughs> You're like my worshipable auntie. <laughs> Come sit in, sit in the chair. <laughs> you have to be careful when you come to our temples because there are all these like amazing great souls who just like hide in the corner and you know clean the toilet and you don't know who they are, you know. <laughs> Um, so it's very interesting, you know, and, and, you know, one thing we have to always remember when it comes to, when we're hearing about Krishna, Krishna's, Krishna's activities, they are all what we call Leela. And Leela, in one way I would define Leela as that which is beautiful and totally unnecessary. <laughs> you know, like, I, I like to quote Oscar Wilde, who says, all art is quite useless, right? 
like, you know, he himself is an artist of a kind. So, like, is he praising art or is he just, he's actually, he's saying that art, it's exploring a world beyond utility, right? Beyond basic need. It's exploring a finer world, right? And so, you know, God already has everything. No. He doesn't need, like, most of the world has to work hard every day just to survive, right? Just to put a roof over their head and food on their table. But what about people who have that all covered, right? They're exploring, exploring a higher world, a finer meaning. They're doing unnecessary things, in a sense. Unnecessary, but deeply meaningful, right? They have the privilege of exploring a world of, you know, art, you know, love, you know, feeling. So Krishna represents that, right? There was once, you know, India was under Muslim occupation for many years. And, and some of the Muslim rulers, we were discussing this last night, they were not very friendly. You know, rather they were highly inimical and violent against the Hindus. But there were some who were very respectful, actually, and favorable. And there was one, um, Akbar, who was in that second category. And we're told that once there was this exhibition that was set up for him. And, and, and it was, they were depicting all the, many of the prominent gods in the Hindu tradition. And, you know, so there's, and there's Shiva there, you know, there's Parvati, there's Ma Kali, you know, and, and so on. Krishna's there. And, 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 and then afterwards, this, um, some person, they asked this Maharaj Akbar, oh, who was your favorite? Like, who attracted you the most? And, 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 and like, who do you think is the best? You know? And he said, oh, Krishna, for sure. And they said, oh, why do you say so? And, and he said, well, Krishna is just playing a flute. It, like, if you look at all the other gods, they've got a duty. <laughs> they've got a nine to five. <laughs> like Shiva's holding a trident, right? You know, Ramachandra's carrying the bow and arrow. You know, Vishnu's got the chakra and the club, and right, everyone has some duty that they have to carry out, right? But Krishna, he just has a flute, right? And and we see that in this world, right? Like like the super rich, they're just delegating everything. They don't actually have to do anything themselves. They do it because they feel like it. Right. So this was Akbar's, you know, very intelligent you know, discernment. That Krishna, he's exploring a world of play, right? He's exploring the things which are actually the most meaningful and most penetrating to the heart, right? The world of play, love, beauty, charm, right? Rasa. This is actually the... Shuno he rasika Someone who actually can taste rasa. They will appreciate Krishna. <laughs> this is what it comes down to, this word rasa that Prabhu's mentioned. No. Rasa, rasa is very difficult to translate into English. Sometimes it's translated as juice, you know, sometimes it's taste, you know, ecstasy, joy, fulfillment. That's actually the essence of everything. That's actually what, what uh, motivates us in everything. That's actually what we're all seeking after, right? And everything that we do, and the foods that we eat, you know, what we drink, and movies that we watch, and different relationships, there are different rasas. There's some different flavor 
with your mother, your father, friends, lovers, co-worker. There's some unique flavor in every relationship. And actually, you're not satisfied with one, right? <laughs> and so, so this is like scientific, like in terms of like a scientific appreciation of who is Krishna and what is the value of Krishna and why do we worship Krishna as the supreme personality of God. It, it comes down to this point. Of rasa, and one of our gurus he describes Krishna as a kila rasamrita murti, that he's the embodiment, he's the personification of all types of rasa, like all taste, all flavor, all ecstasy, everything will be fulfilled, can be found in connection with him. Right? We think of all these things as, you know, like per, like they have a conscious personal source, right? Like our Guru Dev, he he said once very beautifully. He said, how can we expect to find happiness when we are rejecting happiness himself? Wow. <laughs> like, happiness is a person, that's Krishna. And our Param Guru Dekshila Shudamari, she also said, everyone is consciously or unconsciously searching after Krishna. Because Krishna is joy, Krishna is beauty, right? Krishna is taste. But now, like... That, that like call of the soul, it's coming through this, in this distorted form, through the layers of our mind and our ego and all the misconception, concoction that we've con collected over so many lifetimes. It's, so like that call of the soul for Krishna's coming through these layers in this distorted way. And then we're projecting that onto the, the finite, limited, um, uh, what's the word? Anyway, finite, limited things of this world, right? That, that can, and then, of course, we're frustrated. <laughs> you know, in, in so many ways, right? In relationships and jobs and, you know, in, in so many things that we pursue, right? We're, we're like actually seeking the infinite, but within the finite. So it's a fruitless endeavor. You know, we will inevitably be dissatisfied. So this principle is something to like to remember that Krishna, like Krishna's, he's like, he's playing out a drama, right? It's not that anything. It's not that anything in his activities like needs to happen, but it's part of the show. It's part of his enjoyment. It's part of his pleasure and the pleasure of his beloved companions, right? And Krishna actually mentions this in directly in Bhagavad Gita. There's one verse, Janma karma chame divyam evam yoveti tattvata chakta deham punar janma naiti ma meti sarjuna, where he's saying that if someone can come to understand that the nature of my janma and my lila, of my birth and activities in this world are actually divya, divine, then they will be liberated. <laughs> Don't be fooled by this external appearance of some ordinary boy and who does such and such. But this is all my divine play, you know. And so as part of the play, you know, Krishna chooses to appear like this. Krishna also has parents as part of the play, right? Why? Because this, this adds to the, to the rasa, right? You know, normally, like according to conventional thinking, you know, if someone tells you God has parents, you'll say, what? <laughs> How can, how can the supreme, original, divine being have parents, right? He is the, he is the as we have in a, one of our scriptures, right? Anadir, Adir, Govinda. He's the source of all. He's the cause of all. How can he have a cause? How can he have a source? 
right? So there's no logic there. And, and within the Hindu tradition, there are many who will prefer to attribute divinity to Vishnu, right? Vishnu, Vishnu's got four arms. Like, come on, you can't beat that. <laughs> like, he's obviously superhuman. Right? He doesn't have parents. He's just eternally existing. Right? So from, according to one line of thought, that makes more sense. But, but our gurus, they think in another way. They think in terms of rasa. And, and how, what is the proof of the value of rasa, that that's the thing that we're all actually seeking after, <laughs> right? So who has the most rasa? Okay, Krishna has parents, but that actually adds to his value. Why? Because that adds to the, that increases the spectrum of relationships that are available with Krishna. So every relationship is available in connection with Krishna. Like, that, that's a channel for some persons to express their love in, towards the divinity in a particular way. Like one of our new friends, he, he shared how, you know, he's like in his early 40s now, and he shared that you know, his, he's struggling with his mother because his mother still wants to see him as her little you know, 12-year-old boy. And, you know, and, I, and I, I, I told him, you have to tell him about Krishna. <laughs> like, that may be like a very genuine need that she has in her heart that she needs to be a mother. You know, she needs, that's a love within her she needs to express, right? So then, like, like, where do, like, within the theistic world, within the world of religion, where do you find an explanation for that? Where do you find a channel for that type of love, right? We're just going to go sit in the oneness, or we're going to bow to our creator, like, then we're just going to, like, you know, like, zip up all our feelings, you know, all these, like, deep, complex, refined feelings that we have. So this is what we find in connection with Krishna, and only Krishna, that all of these complex expressions of the heart, urges of the heart, urges of our being that we have, they, there is a channel for them in connection with Krishna. There is a place for them in connection with Krishna. So, so this is like, you know, scientifically speaking, how our gurus, they, they appreciate Krishna as the, as the, as the, the what, we, what we call Swayam Bhagavan. You know, Bhagavan is God, the personality of God. Swayam means the original, right, the OG. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know he's the source of all other expressions of divinity. And so, so as part of Krishna's play, he chooses to appear in a prison cell. And there's a whole background behind that that um, I don't know how much you want to go into all of it. You can go into any and all. <laughs> Whatever. But, um, As a flow. <laughs> well, maybe I should for persons who don't, who don't know. I think it's... I mean, all of it is amazing. Right? Mm. your butt. <laughs> um... But so Krishna, Krishna's mother, um, Devaki, she is a princess, and she marries this Vasudev, and her brother, he's a wicked man, and when Deva, on the day that Devaki marries Vasudev, they're having this grand marriage procession, it's a joyful event, right, and, and her brother Kamsa, He's like leading the way and he's celebrating with his sister. And then there's this mysterious voice, Akashvani, it's called, mysterious voice from the sky. You know? 
and, and saying, oh, Kamsa, why are you celebrating? You know, the eighth son of your sister is going to kill you. Right? And, you know, again, this is all part of the play, right? And so then Kamsa shows his true colors, and he pulls out his sword, you know, ready to behead his sister. And, but Vasudev, his new brother-in-law, pleads with him, please, please, don't kill him. And, but Kamsa's like ready to go for it. And, and finally, Vasudev convinces him, saying, we promise we'll give you every child that comes from us. And you can do what you want with him, but please don't kill my beloved wife. And so then, as a result of that, Kamsa, he... He, he knows that Vasudev is honest. What did you say? He knows Vasudev is an honorable, honest gentleman. And so he accepts that. But he imprisons them, and every child that comes, he, he kills them, kills the child. And, and, then, and then finally, it's midnight, right? Um, this, you know, this time of year, 5,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then baby Krishna's born, right? And, and I, I believe he temporarily put, manifests himself in his four-armed Vishnu form, right? And he gives instructions to his parents and tells them, you know, take me, take me out now to the village of Vrindavan there in this city of Mathura. But take me to the village of Vrindavan, to the home of this Jashoda. And she's just given birth to a baby girl, and make some exchange, you know. So you take that baby girl and you leave me there next to her. And so, so Vasudev, he, he, he does that. And, and by the Lord's mystic power, the chains on the prison, they, you know, they, they open. The guards are all asleep. And he goes to, it's the monsoon season. The river, Jamuna is very high, but the, the waves part. And, and, um, and finally he reaches Vrindavan and he makes this, Exchange and, and then in the morning time, you know, everyone in Vrindavan is overjoyed to see that Mother Jashoda has given birth to this beautiful boy. And, and then meanwhile, Vasudeva has taken this um, girl, baby girl, back to Matura. And soon after that, she's making some cries and everyone wakes up and Kamsa comes and he tries to kill her. But then this, this, um, this beautiful goddess form, Yoga Maya, she's called, she, she rises up, you know, and she tells Kamsa, you know, too late. <laughs> Krishna's already, you know, he's safe and you better watch out, you know. And then, and then, and then it's interesting, you know, then in the next year, few years, Kamsa, he actually becomes incredibly Krishna conscious. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's obsessed in this fearful state, like thinking about Krishna, where's Krishna? Krishna's gonna kill me and like that. But it's actually like a one form of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> it's mentioned in the scriptures, like in any way that you meditate upon Krishna, whether in fear, whether in love, you'll be benefited, you know, you'll be uplifted. <laughs> How merciful is Krishna? And so so then this element of Kamsa. Um, like within the Leela, within the play of Krishna, it adds this whole um, dimension, right? Where there's then Kamsa, when he finally discovers where Krishna is, he, he at different times he sends out like different um, demon buddies of his who <laughs> go and try to kill Krishna, come in different, different interesting forms. Um, they try to kill Krishna. And so this like adds something 
to the whole play of Krishna where he gets to become the hero. You know, he protects the residents of Vrindavan in different ways. And, and meanwhile, everyone who loves Krishna, they're often like, you know, on the edge of, you know, like praying, Krishna, don't leave us. And they're like afraid Krishna's going to die. And, you know, so many dramatic adventures, they, they take place. Which, and really, it's all just like a stage. It's all a platform to intensify the loving connection that Krishna has with his beloved devotees. There, you know, there's one, um, you know, one of our main principles is that of sharanagati. Sharanagati means surrender, right? And, you know, just as one example of one of the pastimes, the leelas that takes place, there's this one form, one demon who comes to try and destroy Krishna, Agasura. He's this, he takes this form of a giant serpent. But he's so big that you, when you're right next to him, you can't really see what it is exactly, Right. And so we so there's this one description of you know Krishna he he appears as a cowherd boy, you know, and this is also part of the stage, right? Because when things are too grand, you know, when there's too much of an expression of power and majesty, that puts a check on the flow of love and affection. So Krishna he appears in this ordinary way, you know. There's not there's no distraction, you know, of power or wealth or anything like that, right? And so, so this is a community of, um, of dairy farmers, you know, and, and so Krishna, and Krishna has all these cowherd, you know, friends, you know, and so there's one description of how one day, you know, a group of these cowherd boys, friends of Krishna, they come across this, um, this giant serpent, and, and they're like curiously like peering in, oh, what's this? This looks interesting. And, and there's like this like foul smell coming out and looks very dark and horrible. And, but they're just like curious, oh, what's this? And, and they're like, oh, why don't we just go in and check it out? So they actually enter like the gaping mouth of this giant serpent. But, but at that time, they also mention, you know, we don't know what it is. Maybe it's something, you know, that's, you know, maybe it's some horrible creature. Maybe it's going to try and destroy us. But Krishna's there. Krishna will, Krishna will take care of us, you know. If anything happens, we know Krishna's always got our back, you know. And, and this is, you know, this is um, a Ill beautiful illustration. One of the aspects of the principle of surrender is that of confidence in the Lord's protection, right? Always having that faith, you know, that the Lord is there, the Lord is our guardian, the Lord is our protector, the Lord, the Lord loves us, right? And so in many different ways, all of these like theological principles, you can say, that are being expressed in very sweet, you know, beautiful and, and charming ways, you know. So this is a simple introduction <laughs> to the divine play of Krishna. And we have any other honorable speakers tonight? <laughs> and I'm just also on a personal note, I um, just want to say how happy I am to be here. It really feels like family. <laughs> it is family. I mean, like, you know, Sudarshan knew me like when my mother was pregnant with me. So. <laughs> you know, Nyasi Marge also, you know, we've, we've like grown up in different parts of the world together at different times, you know. Tarmoy Didi also, like, she, I used to play with her daughter when we were like little toddlers in Miami. And, you know, Haridas, maybe you were there too, you know. Divi Shakti, Divi they've all known me like really feels like, you know, it's like family here. 
And it's mm-hmm. a very beautiful, beautiful field. Yeah, we were together in Navadi. Yeah, that was very special. <laughs> and, um, no, it's actually very, it's a real blessing to have that feeling. And actually, this feeling is it's giving an indication of, of you know, what is, you know, what, like, actually family life. It is, a, it is a very wonderful thing. And this is actually what is very unique and special about the Krishna conception, right? That we can have an experience of closeness with the Supreme Infinite. <laughs> so Lashidamarish describes it in one place, like, Krishna, who is Krishna? It is where the closest approach of the finite towards the infinite is made possible. Beautiful. <laughs> and there was this one meeting um, in our temple in Nabajip. Um, like this is early back in the 70s and and there were some disciples of Swami Marsh Prabhupada who's the founder of the ISKCON movement they were attending and many persons had an opportunity to speak and there was this one American woman you know she was invited to speak and and she said you know what I appreciate about Krishna consciousness is that we have the opportunity of having a family life with God you know, like that's what moves me the most. That's what attracts me the most. You know? And and Maharaj, our guru, our grandfather guru, he loved that so much, and he repeated it a number of times. Like how much he appreciated that woman's expression. You know, to have a family life with God. Like where else will you find that? Like where else will you find such a possibility? You know? I mean, you know what? Something that's that that's very striking about the whole story of Krishna. This kept on hitting me while you're talking about is like there's actually adversities that are hitting these people who have affection for the Lord, right? Like, and it starts off as extreme as it can get, right? Like, you know, I think for most people, like if they're asking, like, oh, you know, tell my fortune, there's really only four people, four things that everyone in the whole world wants to know Who am I going to get married to? Am I going to have kids? Will I make some money? Like, it's maybe only three. <laughs> like, it's really that simple. So it's like everybody's consumed for the most part with, like, who they're going to get married to. And this is, like, the big day, right, where it's, like, you know, the celebration of the princess getting married. And there is something about, like, that call, right? Because I think there's a little bit of an idea of spiritual life where it's like, I'm going to do service. And when I do service, it's like really fun and, and we all jump around together and do fun things. And that's also true. Because <laughs> there is something sweet. But it might also be your service to be in a very intense situation. Right? Because the Lord is born in the midst of a prison. Right? And there is a very dire circumstance that's happening. And revelation is happening to those divine parents. Mm inside of the darkest cave and like the significance in the night in the rainstorm in like you know in the dark moon in the dark moon right and then of course there's significance there's a name of krishna is shama sunnar right which like translated in english is like you know blackish colored you could say but then blackish and beautiful and then they're saying well another translation is hard to see right who is mysteriously hidden from our vision. And they're saying, how is it possible to see div- this divine Shama Sundar? And they're saying, the halo of Srimati Radharani, whose service incarnates, 
you will only be able to perceive the hidden divine Lord through, one, through her, two, through dedication and service. What cannot be perceived? And then the mysteries continue to invert and invert and invert again, right? So then, you know, the river opens, and then to stage the divine snake is the umbrella in this situation, right? And then they're beset by all sorts of what we would call tragedies. Extremely dangerous situations are happening on the regular, right? Like, and you know, you could say like these different kinds of demons, if you really want to get into it, they're just different kinds of shapeshifters. And this is a quality that they're very good at, right? And they're looking very wonderful and they're bringing something bad. And you could say, you know, it's like you don't have to search too far. It's something that looks kind of sweet and delightful. Like the very first demon that comes in the story is Putina. So the very day of Krishna's birth, this is the huge celebration. Mother Yashoda is so tired that she can't even remember, was it a boy or a girl that was born? And it's like, ah, it's this beautiful boy, and it's like time to party, right? So again, like, see how fast this is. It's not like these huge, like, 25 years go by. It's like the next day after Krishna's born, they're doing this huge celebration. And custom in India is... Everybody, there's like charity that's being given to everyone by the parents. It's the exact inverse of our birthday celebration, which that's another interesting thing, is that there is the person whose birthday is they give to everyone else. So Nandabharshi is like cooking for everyone and giving cows to the Brahmins and like distributing this affectionate kind of feeling. And, and in walks this lady who's so beautiful that everyone's like practically fainting and they're thinking, oh, the goddess of fortune herself has come to bless this child, right? And we know that she's Kamsa's sister, I think, right? Anyway, you're talking about Putsana? Yeah, Putsana. yeah, I think she's, yeah, yeah, she's, she's Kamsa's like, little complicated sister. complicated family, you know? <laughs> They've got issues. <laughs> you don't want to be at that and get together. <laughs> anyway, but... She walks in and she's so beautiful. And think about like all of the different symbolism of like, you know, the light bringer, so to speak. Always looks good in the beginning and very, very dangerous, right? So she's, she walks in and she's so glowing that everyone's like, oh my God, a goddess has come here. Like, please go to the Lord. And, and so she goes to the Lord and they're thinking, oh, it's so auspicious that she's nearby. And she actually asks to breastfeed the Lord, right? She had this whole poison on her and... Ultimately, uh, the Lord sucks the poison and her life air out, and then her body transforms to this huge, like, mountainous kind of structure, right? So she was considered a very powerful witch. But uh, the very interesting thing Bhaktivinoda Thakur speaks about is the first obstacle on the path of spiritual life will be the false guru. And that is what he's saying Putina signifies, right? So you have layers and layers and layers. There's a story that is in and of itself and for itself, right? There's a pastime that's happening. And there's grave danger. And we shouldn't be so um, necessary. We, we can look to these stories and see that abject danger. And then we don't have to just like glamorize a very superficial kind of practice of what spiritual life is, right? That's very, like, kind of, like, heartening in a sense. There's an adventure aspect to it. And the Lord likes adventure. That's the other thing. 
right? You know, like there is a thing of feeling. Like it's not very exciting unless you're feeling super uncertain and you're not sure if you're going to make it through and then everything starts to feel, you know, uh, what is it? Like uh, there's like a ripple through all of your plans. And then maybe they unstable. say when all of these, un- yeah, the unstable, when this un- instability is happening, then like, what is that sentence? Like make space for grace, right? Maybe something can pierce through what is called the mountain of selfish ego, right? That's what we're talking, all of these things are to like basically shatter these tectonic plates of selfishness, Right? And then all of that uncertainty, and then finally desperation is coming. Finally, we have some humility. Finally, we're throwing ourselves into this situation, and then something is starting to move, right? And that's where you hear these things like where it's like there's a reciprocation that's actually happening with the environment, right? And that it's all very alive and very significant, right? And so you can say that Krishna is the connoisseur of all types of feeling. It is the deepest minor with his devotees of all feeling, right? That's what the scriptures are saying, right? The deepest minor meaning to the most extreme that something can be felt, right? Right to the edge of what you think you can tolerate, and then more. That's like, that's why we're, because sometimes people say, wow, these stories are so dramatic. I was like, yeah, you're on the journey to the infinite. Like, it might be pretty unpredictable right and and outside of anything that the mind can concoct right it's the 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 lord that you're searching for is outside of yourself outside of your mind you could say not necessarily outside of the indwelling witness but outside of the imagination of what infinite means i was thinking i was thinking um just one one quick thing about um about time and uh, I think it was when Didi was talking. Anyway, um, time, uh, time I am, Krishna says, destroyer of the worlds, and I have come to engage all people. And that quote was, was recited by um, Oppenheimer at the time they, they uh, exploded the first um, atomic bomb. And, um, uh, you know, Krishna's time, he destroys everything. But simultaneously, there's an aspect of time, like today. Today's a very special time. It's Krishna's appearance. And not only is it just a calendar day, it's an auspicious time where we can grow in spiritual life in a, in a particularly um, a deep, a deeper and more powerful way. This time enables us to like step into a, a situation where we can... Um, you know, automatically develop in a more powerful um, spiritual way. So we come together on days like this to discuss about uh, spiritual topics, to hear from each other, to grow in relation to each other, and develop in, uh, in our spiritual life um, based on the idea that this day is particularly um, auspicious and particularly um, uh, Powerful in relation to awakening the spiritual self that's, that's within each one of us. So time can be a destroyer, but it also can give us good things. You guys gave me Krishna and Leela. Actually, uh, I think Keshava. 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 Keshava
Christian, yeah, the stories and then, yeah. yeah. And like, it just never occurred to me how, like, deep it was. Yeah. I was just talking about it. <laughs> I've read some of it, but not very much. I'm just so wanting to just. It's actually amazing. It's amazing. Well, you know, there's a name of the Lord, Urukrama, mm. which means the great adventurer who performs wondrous tasks. One translation I saw, which I really appreciate, is the great adventurer. And to understand that the source of reality is, is plain in the most astonishing sweet ways. And that the fullest expression of our individuality is to serve, participate, and contribute to that play. That's what's happening. Gurmar is saying there's one reality, there's one Leela. And we've got all of our separate interests and our separate uh, pain caves that we all are in. But really, what the fullest expression of ourselves is to give ourselves to that divine play. And it's exciting and amazing and adventurous. Today's the day, you know, the Lord came to this planet to play his play. <laughs> and it's an amazing, inconceivable thing. We can never try to capture it in our words, but we can always make a turn, you know. That song we just sang, there's a line in it, it says, Krishna Bahir Mukha Jane Premamrita Vitarane. Bahir Mukha means whose face is turned away from him. So those whose faces have turned away from Krishna, you know, seeking their gratification in, in the world of, of trying to exploit and, and consume. So like Krishna says, Prema Amrita Vitaroni. To those people, he may give a drop of divine love. Some feeling of love, even if it's for a second. And then, Krishna Bahimukhojani Prema Amrita Vitaroni. I can't remember the next line. But, but, but essentially it's saying, and by that drop, to uh, change the trajectory of their life. That just by that taste, all of a sudden, a whole prospect of existence is coming. Right? And that you're now going to reorient and begin the search anew with fresh energy. Um, and, and really, that's the wonderful uh, prospect of life. And... Anyways, I'm totally unqualified to be really even talking about anything. But we have some connection with Srila Gurudev and, um, you know, some, some, some grace, you know, that we felt something. Some, some feeling that is uh, never, you feel like I can never leave this search ever <laughs> by, by, that, by that grace. Jacob has a question. I'll put it like this, that the, the thing is that we have removed ourselves from that beautiful play of the Lord. We are living in the world of action and reaction. 
know, we are living independent lives. Like as long as we're, it's like that, um, you know, Satan's expression, as Milton um, puts it in Paradise Lost, to reign in hell or to serve in heaven, right? So when we're living in that mood, that posture, that spirit of loving submission and service to the Lord, then we're automatically under his guardianship. We are part of his divine play. But when we have, you know, like Adam and Eve, right, they, they have to leave the garden even, right? You know, it's like when we choose the life of independence, you know, and we're told that all souls at a certain point, they have this choice, right, to enter that higher world as a loving servant in heaven, so to speak, or to enter a lower world as a master to explore a world of domination, right? So, we, so we're told that this world is like a correctionary institute, <laughs> No, it's it's a world for the souls who have some reform necessary. You know, it's a world where you know, like sometimes I use the analogy of uh, you know when we're living at home, our parents are taking care of everything for us, right? They're paying the bills, you know, they're supplying all our needs. If we get into trouble, they'll take care of it, right? Everything's covered. But if we like say, I want to strike it out on my own. You know, then all of a sudden the world of responsibility and accountability comes upon us, right? We have to make money, we have to pay the bills, we're, we're accountable for everything. And so this, in this, we've put ourselves in that position. We've put ourselves in a position of, of independence and we're living in the plane of karma, the plane of action and reaction, right? We are learning the lesson that, you know, selfishness, independence, it's not, it's not happy, right? No. Here, we're all, you know, because we're all, like, we're like one way Srila Maharaj describes it, we're all, like, ruling as monarchs in our own kingdom, right? We all have our own agenda, right? And so this law, and because of that, there's, like, clashing that goes on because we all have our own center, right? And so the law of karma, it's like a, it's kind of like a regulating principle that helps keep things under control. And so we can't all be king of the world all the time, right? And so that law of karma is what helps keep us, keep us in check. So we've like, we're living like concocted worlds. Right? We've created this. We've, we've turned away from the Lord, right? So it's not that, you know, it's not that we want to conflate, right, Krishna's reality and our reality. Like we've turned ourselves away from that supreme, divine, beautiful reality, right? And so, but when, but when we turn back towards Krishna, you know, then gradually we can begin to see his presence everywhere. Gradually we'll be pulled more and more into that play. And we'll find that, you know, eventually, one day, maybe next lifetime, maybe millions of lifetimes right now, we'll have a place, you know? in that beautiful divine play. That's the prospect that's been given by our, by our gurus. But, but yeah, I think the main thing I wanted to say to you was we don't want to conflate these two things, you know. That, that's that, and we're here. You know? We worship that as our ideal, you know. No, hey, that's what this is for. We're not all just here to be a bunch of talking heads, you know. We're here to like connect with people in a real way and answer real questions.
So it's wonderful that you asked that question. But does that does that answer you? Okay. Okay. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I hope you found something nourishing for your continued spiritual search, spiritual journey. Have a beautiful day, and I look forward to meeting next time. Haribol.